0: This is the Bigger Pockets podcast, show four fifty six.
1: I wasn't looking for a a job. I'm looking for an investment. I have a full time job, and so this was just supposed to be something that I was investing in. And it got to be too much trying to figure out were these legitimate expenses, and because it you know expenses kept going up, and I didn't know what they were for. A lot of them were really vague in the program, and I just didn't want to be calling them constantly, especially out of the last several years, you know, I've lived overseas, you know, a a decent amount of it. And so I was just, since I didn't want to keep doing that, I wanted something that I didn't have to have management on. And so even the returns on commercial properties a little bit lower, it was the right thing for me.
2: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online.
0: What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, one final time, Mr. David the Shredder Green. What's up, man? Sad day today, huh?
2: Well, it's sad from one perspective, but it's really happy for another. Mm -hmm. You know, they say that one door's got to close before another can open.
0: Yeah, I say I, I hear your. Uh, so, for those don't know, David is stepping down from the podcast to become a full time snowboarder uh, there in California, and I'm also stepping down from the podcast to be a full time sea turtle rescuer. It's a volunteer position, but I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> Can't even say that with a straight face.
2: Well, I mean, when you've got the level of talent, yeah, when you got this talent, you it really it. makes the decision for you.
0: None of that's true, of course, people. Somebody just had a heart attack, directly like, leave it. No, no. Today, if you if you're listening to this live anyway, today's April first that this show comes out. That means it's April Fool's. I've never actually made an April Fool's joke, I don't think, in my entire life, so I'm pretty bad at it, but no, we're not going anywhere. We're still here, sadly. And today's show is uh not a joke. It is legit and it's, uh, it's exciting. We're going to learn from Erica today. So Erica Slegger, amazing story of investing in real estate whilst working a full-time job in the, in the military, actually, uh, the Air Force. And so you're going to learn, uh, how she was able to do that, build up a portfolio, going from residential into, uh, some commercial stuff, really inspiring stuff. You're going to love this. So hang tight for all of that. Before we get into that, let's get to today's quick, quick tip. tip. Today's quick tip is brought to you by David Green, because I didn't prepare one. David, what do you got? That's okay. That's why I'm here. Not just because I'm great at snowboarding. Oh, I can talk about my latte maker if you wanted. to. No, I please, did get a new latte maker. Please not. It's a really good one. It makes lattes. Anyway, go ahead.
2: Today's quick tip is use what you got. So today's guest was in the military and she built an incredibly impressive portfolio using the resources that she had at her disposal. As Tony Robbins says, you don't lack resources, you lack resourcefulness. So as you listen to today's show, try to apply what you're hearing to your life and ask yourself how you could do what Erica did.
0: Look at David Green bringing in the, uh, bringing in the Tony Robbins quotes. That's impressive. Well. Mm. Hey, we should get Tony on the podcast sometime.
2: If anybody has a Tony Robbins connection.
0: But who needs Tony Robbins when you have Erica Sleger? So Erica, we're going to bring uh, this show to you guys right now.
3: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop.
0: So, David, use what you got green. You ready for this thing? Let's is that better than snowboarding guy or whatever I said earlier? Well,
2: the joke is I'm a, a horrible snowboarder, maybe one of the worst people. I don't even know if I can call myself a You're not as
0: bad as me. You're not as bad as me, I don't think. Have you snowboarded before? Three times. Yeah. I broke my arm, one of them. So I got like a one-third failure rate. That's the problem. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, let's hear about someone who doesn't suck at life. Let's bring in Erica. <laughs> All right, Erica, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. Good to have you here.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So let's dive into your story. I know you're in the military still, right? So, uh, how did you get into real estate? Why real estate? What was kind of the spark to that journey?
1: Yeah. So I, I initially joined the guard when I was uh, in high school to pay for, you know, some college and whatnot. And when I, I decided to go to law school. And one of the classes I was able to take in law school was uh, about real estate. And we ha- our professor brought in different people. And one of, the, of our speakers said that they were rented a, or they, they bought a duplex, they rented out half and they lived in the other half and it paid for their whole mortgage. And I was like, that's genius. And so I graduated from law school shortly thereafter and decided that I was gonna buy something that I could do that as a, a brand new attorney. And so I bought a fourplex within a couple weeks, days after buying this fourplex, my guard unit, I was still in the guard at that time, got deployed. And so I I ended up leaving really short notice, didn't even get to cash the check for the deposits from my, uh, you know, the the seller. And so I was gone about nine, 10 months, got back, and then tried to cash the check because I found it when I got home and the bank was like, nope. So I had to go back, try and get the deposits from the seller again. Um, But then I moved into that fourplex and it was great. I, I, you know, had my well, great. It was, it, it paid the mortgage and then some. Yeah, you know, yeah.
0: financially it was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I, L- I've been there.
1: Living with your tenants is not great. Lots of different stories there. And then after that, I, my, I talked to both my in-laws and my parents into buying a, some fourplexes themselves. And so I, at one point, I was managing sixteen units. And then the day that I. Turned over management to a different party was one of the best days of my life.
0: <laughs> okay, I want to I want to get there, but first I want to hear a little bit more about like this very first deal. I'm wondering, like, was that a VA loan? Is that what you did for that first one?
1: This was in 2003, so of course prices are cheaper, but also my salary. You, you know, you think maybe an attorney would make some, uh, some money? I was making four oh, million dollars a year. Come on, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I wish I was making. Uh, it was it was very low. And then, but so I borrowed $15,000 from my grandma and I bought the fourplex for 88,000.
0: Those are the good old days.
1: Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. And then, yeah, I moved into the the one unit and, and rented out the rest. Um, And that was, I was actually still single at that and got married the next year. And then the next year we bought a, an 18 plex once I had my husband's paycheck to add
0: so I want to stick on this first property because even though it was you know almost 20 years ago that you bought that first one the the principle applies still today we talk a lot about a house hacking right when you live with your tenants and you kind of you know laughed about that and I laughed about it because I' you know we've all been there and I know David you've done it too what worked and what didn't work when you're living with a tenant uh, and you're trying to do the house hacking thing
1: I probably did everything wrong I mean in hindsight <laughs> I probably I wouldn't let him know that I owned it I also you know it made me feel bad with the Collecting money from tenants made me feel bad, especially, you know, some of them had trouble making the rent and with kids and whatnot. So in hindsight, I probably would have just gotten a P.O. box, had a mail stuff. Some of them were in the military. There was a one above me. I lived in the, the bottom unit and one of them, one day I was sitting there and water started dripping down. And so I I went upstairs, knocked on the door a few times, no answer. Eventually I let myself in with the key and discovered water everywhere. The tenant had deployed and shut off his heat in North Dakota in the winter. And so the pipes burst. And so I was like trying to figure out what what was going on and opened one one of the closets where the pipes were. And there was like a marijuana growing operation in there <laughs> and so <laughs> i had to report that you know cuz he, he was in the military and I, there was a lot of damage in the apartment and so anyway then once i joined the mil- like full time military active duty and i was stationed at that base he was one of the first uh, court martials that i participated in so that was kind of a neat full circle
0: yeah there's a, there's a lot there and and you learn these things like when you're house hacking like again we've all been through it uh, with the tenant thing. And again, like I, I love the idea of not telling your tenants that you're the owner of being you know, just another tenant that lives there, uh or just the manager or the resident manager, whatever you can do to kind of like make sure that somebody else is the one that's the bad guy, I guess, in those cases. So
2: well, why don't we jump in real quickly about why that is a good idea? It's not just because you don't want to be the bad guy, because some people don't mind playing that role. Some people actually excel at that role. You love being the bad guy. Oh man. Like <laughs> I, I all the time I do that for Brandis. Give me your phone. Let me talk to this person. Yep. i yep. as weird as it is, I'd rather do that than get all the, like the emotional, touchy feely stuff. That makes me more uncomfortable. But the point is what Brandon and I have been pounding on is the concept of leverage. Everything in life is something that you choose to do or you could hire, train, find someone and you either pay them or mentor them or give them some form of benefit to why they would do this for you. And if you don't like collecting money, if you don't like being, for lack of a better phrase, the bad guy, find somebody else who wants to, and listen to that feeling in your gut, like we say, you know, go with what goes light. So, like, there's nothing wrong with Erica saying, I don't like that part of the job. That's actually your compass that's guiding you to
0: leverage that to somebody else. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, Erica, what came next? I mean, you bought that fourplex, you lived in it, went overseas, came back. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's kind of stabilized it. Did you keep that one then?
1: Yeah, I kept that a long time. Um, and that was in 2003. And then in 2005, we bought an 18plex in small town North Dakota and that one i actually just sold a couple months ago so i kept that one long term mm. also i sold the fourplex in 2015 and that was after oil had nit- hit north dakota so it had you know gone up in value and that's and then i did 1031 with that money
0: would you sell would you sell it for like you bought it for 85 you said right
1: 258 88000
0: and i sold it for 258 ooh all right there's <laughs> There's some uh, other profit there. And you 1031, for those who don't know what a 1031 exchange is, can you explain that?
1: Yeah, you take the, the money from your sale. And as long as you identify before the, the closing of what you're selling, as long as you identify that you're gonna do that with the money, you put the money into a qualified intermediary. They hold it. You never actually get the money in your bank account. And then you identify a property that you wanna buy within 45 days, close within six months. And then you don't have to pay the tax man. or the uh, depreciation recapture. So it's a good deal as long as you want to keep investing.
0: At some point, the government wants this money back unless, of course, you die and then it goes to your kids and they don't have to pay it back either. So as currently, that's how it is. But it's just such a powerful technique though, because like let's just say you made two hundred thousand dollars in profit that you're going to dump into the next deal. But oh, sorry, you owe the government half that in taxes, so now you can only invest a hundred in the next deal. So if you're putting twenty percent down, you can buy a five hundred thousand dollar property. But because you're able to keep that full, let's say two hundred thousand, now you can buy a million dollar property. You can buy twice as much almost because you're using the government's money to go buy more. So now you get all the cash flow benefits of that million dollar versus the five hundred thousand. You get all the tax benefits of the million dollar and then you do it again and you do it again. You're basically using the government's money as a partner to invest with you and the government's like, hey, it's okay hang on to my money for a little longer, invest it in the next deal. That's why I think they do that. I think they do it because the government's like, well, you've already been successful with the money now. You can probably grow it faster than we can grow it. So just go and dump it in there and pay us later. It's it's a cool strategy, actually.
2: It's really smart. And if anybody wonders why the government does that, just ask yourself, when the government runs things, do you have a good experience at the DMV?
0: <laughs> yeah, they've realized they would rather have investors who have proven themselves good yes. investing their money rather than government bureau- bureaucrats right. investing their money. All right, so how did you go from that fourplex to an eighteen unit? That's a pretty big jump, bigger than most people would probably do. What was the kind of mindset that went into that?
1: It was for sale, I guess, in small town North Dakota, at, at least at the time. Uh, and this is when I say small town, I'm talking like two thousand people. And it was an eighteen plex. It was for sale um, from a, a real estate investment, uh, you know, fund, and they were selling it to invest in like shopping malls and whatnot. And so the eighteen plex, I paid two hundred fifteen thousand for which at that point, you know, between it seemed like a lot of money at the time, but, you know, in hindsight it, it wasn't, but we had, um we got that and it brought in a lot of money for a long time. We were like, this is like a, you know, a golden goose that just kept sending us money. But then, you know, we paid it off and then we started paying taxes on something paid off, you know, paid off. And that was something that I hadn't realized, I guess, was the power of leverage. Cause once we paid it off, yeah, it was great getting those monthly checks and not sending out anything to the the mortgage company, but we got hit during tax time. So then we refinanced and pulled some money out.
0: Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I know like, there's a debate in the investment community of should you pay off your properties or not? And that's one of them. When you you pay them off, you don't get as many tax benefits, which means you pay a lot more money. And so from a financial standpoint, it usually doesn't make sense to pay off properties, but from an emotional standpoint, some people really like it and it works for them. So...
1: Yeah, we pulled uh, when we pulled that money out. That's what we used in part for when we bought in 2014. We bought uh, 64 units.
0: Wow! In one shot, like one apartment building.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah, it was uh, uh, four 16 plexes.
0: Wow. Okay. So let's walk through that one. How'd you find that thing? How'd you how'd you put together that deal?
1: So we decided once that we wanted to. Like, I enjoy this. My husband's totally hands off. He doesn't. In fact, he's never seen, he never saw any of our properties except the, <laughs> that's so, awesome. and the, the ones that we just sold, uh, yeah, the, all the 126 multifamilies that we just sold, he never saw any of them. And so, uh, but I, 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 enjoy it. And so I called around, I didn't have a, a market that I really was biased towards. Um, so I just called around and honestly, I ended up investing in Winston-Salem because that's where I found a realtor that was really great. And so he, you know, he returned my calls. He was, he, he took it seriously. And so I ended up investing there and it, it was good. It's been, it's been good. I still have uh, several properties there.
0: So uh, this is a really good topic. I want to, I want to make sure we dig on a little bit is when you're trying to find a, find a market to invest in. And like a lot of people are just stuck with brand, like they have no idea even where to look. Like, do I go to North Carolina? Do I go to Florida? Do I buy in Ohio? Like, what do I, what do I do? And, And you mentioned, and I love that you actually said that is, you just found a realtor there. Like that was the main driver. It wasn't like you were looking at the data going, oh, it looks like population trends are moving in this direction. I mean, maybe you did some research there, but it, it goes to David's point in long distance real estate investing about like, having your team is like the most important piece of where you invest, or at least one of the. It's probably the most important part, David, would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The, the team, and I'm sure Erica would support this concept. It, it determines whether you're successful or you're not successful, whether the mission gets done or the mission doesn't get done. The team is, is pretty much everything. And when I wrote the book, what I noticed is the question everyone asks is where do I invest? It, it's, it's a mindset that comes from stock trading. Where, will, where can I buy low and sell high? That's how they're looking at this thing. But when you're buying a stock, there's already a company in place that's got a team of people that are either doing a good job or they're not doing a good job. You got to build that team when you're investing. So while the location does matter, and Erica, I want to ask you what your thoughts are on buying where you are or buying in a place you think makes more sense. There's another layer of complexity to this, which is how you build the team or how you operate this business that you're you're buying.
1: Yeah, the hardest part, other than in North Dakota, um, that was the only time I've ever lived near my properties. The hardest part in my opinion is finding management. It's really, really hard to get good management. And once you get good management, it seems to slip. And that's why I ended up selling all the multifamilies. I had good management and I, you know, they were they were good, but I just didn't have the time to manage the management. And the they you know they use these huge programs and I would try and go in and, you know, see what the expenses were, but when you have 126 units, I wasn't looking for a a job. I'm looking for an investment. You know, I have a full time job. And so this was just supposed to be something that I was investing in. And it got to be too much trying to figure out, you know, were these legitimate expenses And because, you know, expenses kept going up and I didn't know what they were for. A lot of them were really vague in the program. And I just didn't want to be calling them constantly, especially out of the last several years. You know, I've lived overseas, you know, a, a decent amount of it. And so I was just, since I didn't want to keep doing that, I wanted something that I didn't have to have management on. And so even the returns on commercial properties is a little bit lower, it was the right thing for me.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So let's go into that a little bit deeper into the, you said 126 units, is that what you were up to? Yes the the big apartment complex how did you find it how did you finance it like the the 60 something unit that you got there what was that about
1: the initial 64 unit was just when we had the money i just was like i said calling around to different honestly states like i would i was calling like realtors in california and 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 this was this one particular realtor called me back and so that's where i ended up buying it was also driving distance we were stationed in the dc area And so I could drive down and look at it, uh, which I did, you know, several times. And then after we bought it, it was, I mean, there's a little bit of foolishness too when you, when you buy something big, there's just like that leap of faith. But a lot of it is just being like, all right, I'm just going to do it and jump in. And there's a lot of things that I missed then that I would know now. I didn't, one thing with I didn't really, really realize that a lot of owners, when they're going to sell, they prep for a couple of years and they like quit doing capital improvements and they lower the expenses a lot and they will fill the, the empty apartments with whoever just to try and get the, the income up. Cause then with the, the cap rate, you know, you pay more. I didn't realize that. And so, yeah, I, I bought it and then, you know, I start realizing, okay, this roof, even though it passed the inspection, it's going to need a new roof in a couple of years. And, and these are, $50,000 roofs. And so that was one thing I, I wish I would have been smarter on. You know, at least I, I always think at least I'm in it to to make the mistakes better than sitting on the sidelines and and not doing anything. And so I've learned a lot, but it's been great.
0: When people are trying to sell a property, what well, you're getting at there, and correct me if I, if I get any of this wrong, what you're saying, when people are trying to sell a property, especially a multifamily or commercial property, they want the profit, like the net operating income, to be as high as possible. They want to make that property look really, really good from a financial standpoint, because the value of a property is based on how much profit it makes And when you get into that larger deals. So as a result, they stop working on a lot of the stuff, the regular repairs and maintenance for several years so they can keep the numbers artificially low. It's very common. So because of that, you may get a lot of deferred maintenance. That's what you're saying, right? Yes. Yeah. So definitely something if you're getting into the larger deals, be aware, like what is a seller not doing? Uh, Do you have any recommendations for how to how to discover that? Like, how do you how do you know what a good if they're if they're cutting back there? How do you know if they're trimming their expenses and not doing a good job?
1: The two things I would look at is how how long the tenants have been there. If you see a bunch of tenants that were just installed right before it went on the market, they're probably going to be evicted here shortly and it's going to be your problem. And the other thing is to check when things were repaired. I mean if you visually look at it, you know, you can see if the parking lot has potholes and, and whatnot. But how long how long ago was the roofs replaced and the railings replaced and the flooring and all those things. If you can see a lot of that if you're just have your eyes open. But like I th- I was just really excited. I was like, oh my gosh, 64 units, this is amazing. And so it's yeah. like my, you know, I had blinders on a lot of that stuff that I was like, oh that's I can totally overcome that. And, you know, and then pretty soon the the bills start coming In for those things.
0: What was the kind of the end result of that deal? Then, I mean, do you still own it today? You sell that thing eventually?
1: So I bought that in 2014. Uh, The next year, in 2015, I bought an additional 16plex in that unit. So I had 80 units in that um, little, you know, complex. And then I also bought 46 units across town. And then I just sold all of them as a package uh, in August and did another 1031.
0: Nice. How were you able to finance all these properties on a military salary? I mean, were you saving up for it? Is there any creative uh, creative strategies in there?
1: Yeah, so we got, you know, of course we sold that fourplex. So we got some money out of that. And then the 18plex, we refinanced that a couple times and pulled money out. I actually just sold that one, uh, if for 450 a couple months ago. Um, but we, so we pulled money out of that. And then, you know, with the military is, you know, you keep going up in rank and then you, so you get, and then longer you get paid for longevity too. And so at this point, you know, my husband and I have both been in, I've been in close to 20. He's been in 20. And so, you know, not at this point, we make a salary, a decent salary. But we, you know, of course, with four kids, we also pay a lot. <laughs> you
0: <know? laughs> yes, you do. Four <laughs> kids. Well, so here's, here's what I love about your story is it illustrates something powerful. And that is, a, I teach us on bigger pockets webinars a lot is the, the concept of a stack. When people are getting started, like, they see somebody with like a hundred units and they're like, Oh, how could I ever buy a hundred units? That would take me a hundred years, right? If I bought one a year. But the idea is you started with that fourplex and you bought like the 18 unit, right? It was outside your comfort zone, but not in the realm of impossibility. It was just like, Oh, that's a, that's a stretch. And then you took profit you made from the early deals and dumped it into bigger deals later. You bought the 60 unit and then over time you make more money and you keep on some type of budget, hopefully in life, so that you have, you know, extra cash to invest. So, like, people, I think, oftentimes look at the idea of a portfolio, like a 100 and some units, and think that would be impossible. I'll never be able to have the money to do that. But your story perfectly illustrates, like, over time, like, you're going to be fine. You'll figure out as you go, as long as you invest outside your comfort zone, which is exactly what I feel like you've been doing, is investing outside your comfort zone. So, that's a... that's awesome.
1: Yeah, the whole time has been uh, outside my comfort zone, and, and same with the the most recent stuff I bought is something totally different. You know, once I got out of the multifamilies,
2: what you're basically getting at was when a seller provides information, you don't just take it at face value when you're buying a property. That, and I'm gonna let you explain to us some of the other things that happens. What I've noticed is when people first get into multifamily investing, they really get excited by the spreadsheets and the numbers and the math behind them because they're powerful but it's easy to assume that what you're looking at is accurate. This is something Annie Duke talked about when we interviewed her, that we tend to read something and just take it at face value and then move forward. And so our analysis is based off of bad facts. Thinking in Bets is the book title, by the way. Thank you. In Annie Duke's book, Thinking and Bets. And so our analysis is based on bad information, which means if you had a foundation and you build on it as you're analyzing this property for foundation was bad, the whole thing ends up being bad. And I wanted to ask you, what are some other things that you found that investors have to be very careful that they analyze correctly and they don't take the seller's words for it? Because like Brandon said, they're going to hype those numbers up to make them look better that people can avoid some mistakes that would really hurt them
1: so you have to try and look a little bit in the future too is your insurance going to be the same as Mm. the person who's selling it is your taxes you know the property taxes going to go up because once you get into these bigger properties you're looking at you know thirty thousand dollars in property taxes and if the if they sold it to you for a lot more than what they had into it it might jump up also you know due diligence was kind of just a word um before and but once you dig into it you know, I had, like I said, I have a really great realtor. And so he would do things like send me, he would even ask for like copies of the seller's bank accounts to show the deposits instead of just taking their word for it on some things. And so just verify I was surprised. I I mean, in the military, of course, we try, you know, lying is like, that's like the worst of all things. Um, And so I was surprised at how easy some people will stretch the truth on, on that stuff.
2: Well, I feel like that's really the game when you're analyzing multifamily properties. That the people I know, like Andrew Cushman's a guy I invest with, and he's taught me a lot. Is you're they're telling you something, and then you're investigating it to find out if it's true. And that is literally what due diligence is. And I just want to highlight that
0: because many people would. Just, I never thought of that. That's exactly what it is. You just try to find out how much they're lying. Like that's what due diligence is. It's like a lie detector.
2: Yeah. It's like a polygraph that you're running somebody yeah. through and like, you're looking up evidence to support it. But Erica, you said a great thing. I don't want it to get overlooked. It doesn't matter what the lease says the person's paying. That's just what they're legally obligated to pay. If they haven't paid it for six months, you still bought yourself a problem. Look for the deposits. show where the landlord deposited the rent into the account. And you can see this person's been caught up to speed because it's very easy to grab somebody, throw them in there. Now they show that there's no vacancy their NOI increases, they made the property worth more. The multiple is different when they're when you're figuring out the value and they just made this thing look great and you buy it and you basically are like taking over this poison pill that
0: somebody else had swallowed.
1: Exactly. Their problems become your
0: problems. So let's dig into what came next then. So you said you sold all these properties in a big bulk. Was that to one person or you just sell them? In-
1: no, it was a, a private equity firm that bought them all. I started... Probably about a, a couple of years ago, getting phone calls, multiple phone calls a week about trying to sell, you know, people that wanted to buy these, and so I I hadn't paid that much attention because you know, I was living in Germany, and then I got back to the U.S. and then I deployed, and and so I, I you know I just kind of blew them all off. But then I finally just got kind of fed up with with managing managers. You know, I just I knew that I wasn't giving it the attention that it deserved. Um, I wasn't doing that good a job at it. A lot of things were just escaping my notice because like I said, this was just an investment to me, not a job. And so when I decided to sell, I was surprised at how much they said, uh, you know, the the agent said that I could sell them for. And so we did a 1031 and, and then bought a different type, a different asset class.
0: What did you end up buying?
1: I bought commercial. I wanted what they call, you know, mailbox money. So I bought two Starbucks, a daycare, and a quick lube and a medical office building.
0: You just like buy a Starbucks, like the, the building, right? Like the, <laughs> Yeah, 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 yep. Why that asset class? Why commercial real estate like that? What brought that on?
1: So the the whole idea was that I I could just manage it myself because once you get it you know purchased and you get your mortgage auto paid you get your the rent is you know auto paid into your account and so the whole idea is that that you don't have you know your expenses because the the, in Triple Net the tenants pay your your insurance and your taxes and and everything and so the whole idea was that. It would be truly, truly hands-off. Like my negligent management, you know, like looking at at the the monthly spreadsheets and whatnot, that would be fine because it's really just automated.
0: Yeah, and I'm assuming you don't have a property. You don't need a property manager at that point then because it's...
1: Yeah, I don't have a property manager. Ironically, right after I, I bought one of the Starbucks's in Arkansas where they got the snowstorm and, and so I it was getting phone calls about, you know, the parking lot, snow in the parking lot, and nobody knows what to do with snow in Arkansas. They're like, we don't have plows. So I've actually had more phone calls about maintenance than I ever did with multifamilies, but I think it was just kind of a freak thing.
2: So you mentioned triple net leases. Can you describe for the audience what that is?
1: Yeah. So it when you buy these commercial properties, you're almost buying the lease really instead of the building because the building itself wouldn't go nearly for as much as it does once you have a, a long-term lease. And so the the thing I found out is the the longer the lease and the better the credit of the tenant. So if it's like a, you know, a nationally traded tenant, like let's say Walgreens or CVS or Starbucks or one of those, you get more, more favorable financing terms. The banks will, you know, a lot of times fight over financing those for you. And you don't have to worry about it. But so, but then of course your return goes down too, because it's it's a lot more safe. If you get a maybe a franchise that will, you'll get a better return, but it's a little bit more risky and your financing won't be quite as good. So it's just, it's a trade-off of what you're comfortable with.
2: That is such a great definition that you just gave. I love what you said. You are buying the lease, not the building. Because I've often looked at what you, people pay for commercial buildings and you could build a new one for a whole lot cheaper than what people are paying. It's you're buying the income stream, which is the lease. Oh, that's so good. Because that opens the your due diligence up into how long is the lease for? Is it at below market rent and it could raise? How stable is this tenant? Is this a tenant that could go bankrupt in a couple months? Or is this someone who's been here for 15 years? Those are such good points.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of scary because these are nationally sold too. They're not on a local level. And so the you can buy anywhere, and that that is exactly how the you know they're advertised. So it's a little bit scary not knowing exactly where they're at when you're buying them. But the you know I guess the benefit was the the financing was much easier, even with COVID, um, which that also threw a, a wrench into things because daycares you know daycares all of a sudden were selling at a bit of a discount because. Who knows? Are we all going to go back to work and, you know, and need them again? Or are they, are they all going to go under? And so, so I took a risk on a daycare, but then also got some, some things that are doing pretty well with COVID.
0: To kind of sum up your story as we've gotten so far, you started small by like this little, this fourplex house. I mean, basically it's just house hacking a fourplex. You then used like the next level, you supercharged like an 18 unit, bought a 60 some unit another, a bunch of more units sold all of that like over this 20 year period or whatever it is 15 year period took all the profits that you make from over time dumped it into real estate that's way more passive and long-term way more just easy to manage and you have this big portfolio now of these commercial properties that are fairly easy to manage that sounds like a good summary of like your it is career. yep yeah it, it it is a perfect picture of what like how awesome real estate is because it just gets better and better and better and it compounds upon itself and i'm not saying it's like there's never any problems when you own the larger properties. But at this phase of your life now, you're probably not looking to, to deal with tenants who are growing weed in their in their closet and you're you know dealing with the water leak. Like You're past that now.
1: That's a young person's game. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Brandon, you're
2: making a good point here too, because a lot of the reasons people either don't start in real estate, they fail, give up, or never get started, or they never continue to go through is they think that the problems that you have when you're new will just become compounded when you're bigger if it sucks as bad with my one duplex and single family it will be 10 times as bad if i have 10 of them but what erica you're describing here is no you actually graduate out of that stuff that that's sort of how you pay your dues to get started but the more successful you get the more equity that you build the better you get at this you get into asset classes that remove a lot of those those hurdles that people don't want to face so i think that's a really good point to highlight that encourages the newbies
1: yeah i so real estate i just feel like you can go more in or pull back depending on what your current goals are and i might get back into that stuff later i have three years left you know before retirement eligible and so this just seemed right for me right now and then once i retire maybe i'll get bored and i'll want to you know be more active but right now i just really wanted something passive it, it's just what your goals are at the certain time, but it's not a permanent decision, which is the beauty of it.
2: So for others looking to buy triple net leases, what have you learned that would benefit them?
1: Get a good attorney. Uh, you know, I'm an attorney myself, but I'm not a real estate attorney. And so that was was vital. Read as much books as you can and just think about things that I didn't think about, like drive-throughs are very valuable. Um, if you have a drive-through, it can be repurposed, you know, a bank, a restaurant, a Starbucks, you know, a bunch of different things. The length of the lease is awesome. Also look at how long it's going to be until the next increase in their rent because something might look good right now. But if, they're, if their rent doesn't go up for five years and then it's only 1%, you know, really you're, it's, it's almost going down with inflation. And then look at options. The other thing that I learned was options are mostly to protect the tenant, not you. Because... I mean, I guess I guess that's probably obvious, but I hadn't thought about it. I had just been like, oh, options. That's great. You know, I have.
0: What do you mean by options? Can you explain that. So, at
1: the end of their lease, let's say they have a ten-year lease at two and a half percent increases every two years. At the end of the ten years, they have the option to renew for uh, maybe four options of five years each, and it, it lays out what their. Rent will be for the next 20 years and it would be after that. But And they can exercise that option. But if rent has gone up greatly in your area and they exercise it, you l- would lose that.
2: We, the landlord doesn't have the option. The tenant has the option. And whoever has the options has the control. Exactly.
0: Is the commercial real estate like this, is it just as competitive as we're seeing and everything else right now in terms of apartments and mobile home parks? I mean, is it crazy out there and everyone's just crazy prices?
1: I I don't think it... Well, the cap rates are low. Yeah, compared to, uh, you know, how they have been. I don't think it is as cutthroat. I like the multifamilies, I was getting so many calls and I just, I feel like that was really, really ultra popular. There's less people that are probably buying in the... Commercial properties are often more expensive too. You know, you can get into... A multi-family, a smaller multi-family, for you know maybe a, a couple hundred thousand.
0: That makes a lot of sense. The players maybe are more sophisticated at that level, and they're gonna they're they're okay with a smaller return, but this is a whole lot less of them out there. You're not competing with every one of the 250,000 listeners of the Bigger Pockets podcast.
1: Yeah, and and there's other things I wish I would have known before I bought these because I would have set up a virtual mailbox because a lot of people when they deal with me they think I'm you know maybe the secretary for a a real estate firm. And I wish I would have just kind of gone like that instead of, you know, when I deal with the the Starbucks manager or the daycare owner, you know, manager, that I would have just been like, I'm I'm reaching out as the manager of the, the company instead of saying I own it, because then there's just a, it kind of adds a level of unprofessionalism, I think.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. What, what about like the types of properties? I mean, you kind of mentioned things like drive-throughs are really good. Because it can be repurposed and, uh, you know, like the the big national chains are nice, but you're going to get a lower thing. Anything else you can can say there? I mean, like, because one of the things I worry about with commercial is like what happens if Amazon takes over or what happens, you know, more and more that's happening. Right. Or what happens if the world shifts in a way that we didn't project?
1: Yeah, that was something I thought about. And somebody told me, try to invest in things that Amazon can't ship. And so they had said, you know, maybe uh, collision, you know, centers, the car accident type things. So I one of the things I bought was a quick lube and then a daycare. You know, Amazon can't send that. Medical will be difficult. But yeah, a lot of the things, you know, that that can be shipped through the mail or teleworked will probably who knows.
0: I remember we had an episode of the podcast. I wish I remember the guy's name. I could look it up later and put it in the show notes. But uh, he buys... Like strip malls, like strip malls. And he, I remember him saying basically the same thing is I invest in services that you can't buy online. So the nail salon or the car repair shop, things like that, uh, which is which is really nice um, for long. Because people are going to need their hair done no matter what. They're going to, well, I mean, pandemic's kind of slowed that down for a little while. We all got a little bit ugly, but like if they're going to need that stuff done. Their nails, their hair, they're still going to need to go shop for some stuff that you just have to get. Like you're not going to buy cigarettes online.
2: The service-based industries more so than goods-based.
0: Yeah. Which is, it's fascinating.
2: So Erica, I want to ask you, why are you not wanting Amazon to be taking over? Wouldn't Amazon be a potential tenant for your property?
1: That would be great if I could get something like that, but I, I'm not exactly sure what Amazon's looking for. I'm assuming it's a lot bigger than, than I could ever, ever get.
2: When you say an, an industry, Amazon don't, don't take over. You don't mean a building Amazon would not want. You mean tenants that could not
3: be replaced by Amazon services. Right. Okay.
1: Right. Yep.
3: Yeah.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
3: Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com/vp. connectinvest.com/vp. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet. Your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as quantum fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased.
0: Very cool. So you mentioned that in a few years you plan to retire like from the military. Do you plan to keep your real estate going? You just plan to sail off in the sunset? What do you want to do?
1: So our plan is to move probably overseas, you know, Portugal, something like that. And for a while, just drift. We've, you know, we've gotten to to go a lot of places with the military, but you don't get to see things when you're there. You know, you're working. And so we're going to pull the kids out of school and just probably go do that for a while. And so I, I wanted something that could be very automated. And then after, you know, after a little bit, we'll probably settle down and... I can't imagine not doing anything. So I I would think at that point, I'll probably get back into active, more active real estate. I tried to, uh I tried to open a property management company a few years ago, and that was a whopping failure. So maybe I'll try that again.
0: We got to dig on that then. Why, why was that a failure?
1: I, after we bought that, you know, the, the multi-units. So I had the 60 for and there was another owner in the 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 complex that he was like let's let's open this property management company together I know this great lady she's been working for me helping me with the renovations she can manage it for us so we did it was a ton of work we did the, the operating agreement the LLC we got a desk we leased a car we were all in and then I moved to Germany a couple months after that because we were just sure that this would work out and so moved there and then after about six months like hadn't gotten a a check a cash flow check which was odd because it had been cash flowing and then she was basically a stockpiler she would when when there was money at the end of the month she would go to sherwin-williams and spend five thousand dollars on paint to put in the storeroom just in case we needed it later or window air conditioners and just put them in the storeroom just in case somebody needed them. So we had tens of thousand dollars worth of supplies just sitting there. In fact, they had to vacate one of the apartments just to use as um, <laughs> as a storage room. And so the the only smart thing I did with that whole thing was pull the plug on it after six months instead of waiting longer. But it was a disaster. I mean, we you know, we had to terminate the lease of the car and all the property the desk, the computers, I have no idea where it ended up. It just, it disappeared.
2: You know, you are the second guest today that told us that they didn't like paying property management. They didn't like the service they were getting. And so they started their own company and then immediately regretted it.
1: <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. You have to really, that's something you have to, in my opinion, that's the one thing you really need to be local for, to get the the employees within the processes. I can see that eventually it would work, but... It's not one of those things like real estate that you can just start up long distance and expect that to be a success.
0: I really feel like property management is one of those, like it gets easy, like you have to achieve a certain level of scale before it becomes a good business. Like even like, it's kind of like Airbnb too. Like it sucks to have one or two or three Airbnbs, because like you just you're doing everything you don't have the infrastructure to be able to handle outsourcing and everything. But if you had a hundred of them, like man, you hire people. You got CEO. You got a you know finance person that handles all the stuff. Now you got a business. But yeah,
2: it also has low profit margins, high turnover with the people that they hire. I mean, if you think about all of your investing, both of you, I bet you'd agree, you rarely ever have a good experience with property management. But there's nowhere better to go to. It's just, it's the hardest component, I think, of real estate investing. It's kind of like your offensive line on a football team. When they're not doing their job, it's very obvious that everything's going terrible. When they are doing their job, you just don't notice that they're there.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: Well, thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of people, Erica, also are want to. Like, I should just do this myself, and I would.
1: It's tempting. It's tempting because, you know, you see what you're paying. Not only when these in these bigger properties, you not only pay the percentage, but you pay all the expenses. I mean, you're paying. I was paying the lady to sit at the front desk and then her 401k and her health insurance and your and then every expense, you know, the the property management programs that those can be, you know, a thousand plus a month. And so you're like, oh, I couldn't I just buy or, you know, hire somebody to work for. 50,000 a year and a man, you know, a maintenance person for 50,000 a year. And it seems like that would just save a ton of money, but I'm sure somebody can pull it off, but I could (laughs) not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my last question before we get to the deal deep dive is about what you've learned about franchise versus corporate guarantees. Do you mind breaking that down for us?
1: Yeah, the, the franchise, the, it, and it does depend on the size, too. So you can have a franchisee who has a 100 stores, and they're probably very um, secure. But as far as financing, the banks have their certain standards that they want, and corporate is the way to go, and then a corporate guarantee. And then within the corporate guarantees, they're rated with these Moody's, um, letters, um, and there's like the best of the best, and then it goes down from there. And if it gets too low, they it's kind of the equivalent of franchisee. They don't really want to lend on it. The other thing that I found out is that different lenders are looking for different things at different times. I had multiple banks tell me, oh, we were looking to lend on that type of property earlier this year, but we've tapped out our funds on that for this year. Next year, it'll be different. And so I... I guess that was one of the things i learned was i just thought if you know if i send out my my credit score and you know the financing or the you know the income and everything for these stores that every bank would be the same it's vastly different on what they're looking for and so you got to send it send it out a lot
0: all right well we gotta begin to move this thing towards our end so let's head over to the next segment of the show it's time for our deal deep dive All right. Time for our Deal Deep Dive. This is the part of the show where we dive deep into a deal that you've done. So, uh, Erica, why don't we start with the first question? Do you have a property in mind, by the way?
1: I do. Yes.
0: Number one, then, what kind of property is it and where is it located?
1: It was a 46 unit multifamily in Winston-Salem.
0: 46 unit multi. All right and how did you find it
1: when we uh sold our fourplex in minot uh, and got the 1031 funds i reached out to an agent that i had worked with in winston-salem and asked if he knew of any properties that i could buy
0: all right was it listed like officially or was it kind of an off market thing
1: it was off market he had just found out about it in fact i just was going through my emails from him back then and it said that i just found out about this and i don't think it'll last long so if you're interested let me know it, it was a property that the, it was a, the contractor had bought it and he was flipping it, basically flipping a multifamily.
0: And so you bought it from them. So how much was the property? What were they asking for it?
1: 1.25 million.
0: And then
2: what price did you negotiate?
1: That was about what we paid
0: for it. Okay. Any negotiation strategies in there, or not really?
1: Yeah, he because he had bought it for like six hundred thousand, you know, three months earlier. But he owned his own construction company, so he had his team go through and and remodel a bunch of things and fix things. Um, so as part of the negotiation, we had him fix a few more things. So instead of reducing the price, that's how we. We got some more we, like laundry machine, you know, washing machines, which I'm a huge fan of owning your own coin operated machines. Those are cash cows.
2: That's smart, though, because you saved your own capital that you now don't have to put into the deal because they're doing it. And you sort of increase your NOI before you even bought it by having additional revenue put in by the seller.
1: Yeah. And there was really no nothing to repair until, you know, even when I sold it a, a few months ago, I had very little expense in, in changing things out. Yeah.
2: Cause we often just focus on price. That's what everyone says is, well, what price did you pay? But the price isn't as important when you're, what was your interest rate on this deal?
1: Uh, 3.99.
2: Yeah. That's not a very expensive money to be borrowing, but if you had to dump big amounts of capital into making repairs or adding those laundry machines, that would have had a, a significant impact on your IRR. So I think that's really smart. You did that. I want to overlook it. Okay. How did you fund this deal?
1: The same loan officer that had, uh, I had worked with the year before. I reached out to him and a few others, but he ended up, we developed a relationship. And so I still I still work with him a lot.
0: You just put down the 1031 money you said, right?
1: Yeah, the 1031 yeah. money. And I think, you know, you can't get it right now, but it was only 15% down at, at that time.
0: And then the question, like, what did you do with it? Meaning long-term, like you held it, I'm assuming you rented out, did you fix it up more? Like what, what was the kind of the process look like the next few years?
1: That one just kind of sat. Like, it, I mean, we cash flowed it. It was managed, you know, professionally managed, but it, it cash flowed. We did refinance it once, pulled some money out, and then we sold it last August.
0: So that was the outcome, basically. What, what was the outcome, I guess, in terms of like, sorry, Dave, I'm still your question here, but like dollar amount or like what kind of profit did you make, if any?
1: We sold it for $1.75. wow. Ah.
0: That's a little bit of profit then and there.
1: The it was funny when I was looking through some of my old emails to you know prep for this. I it, cap rates back then were that they were selling it. I think nine and a half cap rate and but we thought maybe we could get it at eleven cap rate, which is crazy because I think we sold it at you know six and a half. So it's just cap rates are really compressed right now with the low interest rates.
2: What did you learn from this deal?
1: So I was hung up on this deal about the guy I bought it from had bought it so low and was selling it for like double the price a few months later. And I, I really got hung up over that. But the thing I learned was there's meat on the bone, uh, even if you didn't get, but you know, the, the deal of century, if you, if you keep things, it's, it's not always, a um, don't get hung up on what the other guy paid. As long as there's still room for you to make some money, just worry about yourself.
0: All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. That sounds like an awesome deal. And uh, again, just shows the power of like, you buy real estate, you hang on to a few, few years, it goes up in value, you take that profit, you dump it into larger deals, make it more passive, get your systems better. And just over time, it just gets better and better and better. I love it. I love that. I love your whole story. It's just like, it, it's like I want everyone to listen to this show be like, this is what a career in real estate investing looks like. And uh, you're going to experience some fruits of that here as you retire and sail off into the sunset, which is awesome. So with that said, let's get to our last segment of the show. It's time for our... Famous for... These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week here on the Pockets podcast. Now we're going to throw them at you. So number one, Erica, favorite, either long-term favorite or maybe recent favorite, real estate related book.
1: My recent favorite is the Due Diligence Handbook for Commercial Real Estate by Brian Hennessy. It was very helpful because due diligence is different with commercial.
0: All right. Awesome. I've not read that one, but I, that's definitely one I should probably read. What about your favorite business book?
1: Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt.
0: Michael Hyatt, I love Michael Hyatt. Mm-hmm. It's good. I don't know. If, we, yeah, he's coming back on our show. I don't know if that's already aired by the time this show comes out. I think it's already aired, probably by the time this show comes out. But uh, yeah, Michael Hyatt, super good dude, and Free to Focus, great book.
2: All uh, right, what are some of your hobbies?
1: I like reading Louis L'Amour westerns and uh, gardening and. So if I, you know, we move every couple of years for the military and if I could have all the money back that I spent on gardening at each house, I probably could have bought <laughs> another multifamily, but I love it.
0: Louis Lamore has like, how many books has he written? Do you know? Like you go to the library and there's like shelves of his books.
1: Hundreds. Yeah. I, ha- I have, Hundreds. I have probably over a hundred myself. <laughs> is, he still, is he still alive? No, he's dead.
0: Oh, so that'd be a great interview. Is to find, how, how do you pop out that many books? Like what's that process look like? That'd be fascinating to hear. All right. And then last question from me. What do you think separates successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or just never get started?
1: I think it's passion. If you love it, I think Mm. you'll keep trying no matter how many times you might fail. If it's not your passion and you quit, there's no shame in that. Find something you love. You just get one life, enjoy it. Might not be your thing.
0: Very cool. That's such a good answer. That's such a good, because if you don't love it and if you don't have a passion for it, like you're not going to continue even like real estate. Some people say like, well, I don't love real estate. Well, like you might not love real estate, but you might love like be passionate about managing people or about like, fine, you could put that to use in real estate make them do the real estate. You're more of like a CEO type that runs your business. So there's different ways to approach it, even if you don't love changing toilets and batteries and smoke alarms. So lots of ways to make that happen. Very cool. Well, Erica, this has been fantastic. Really, really good stuff today. Uh, I love your story and I can't wait to see kind of where you head off in the future uh, with more of these deals. I'm definitely inspired to check out more commercial. I really should dig into that a little bit more. We've had a couple of guests lately that have been crushing it in the commercial world. So uh, I'm excited. But yeah, keep keep doing it.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a good thing for right now. And then maybe in a few years, I'll be back to multifamilies.
0: Yeah, maybe. Well, very cool. Well, Anyway, thank you for joining us, David. If you want to get us out of here, that would be a that would be a good next step.
2: Erica, where can people find out more about you?
1: I have Facebook. I don't. I'm not selling anything, or I don't have a professional website or anything. But I am. I am on Facebook.
0: Very cool. What's your? Do you know your Facebook name on there? Is it just
1: uh, Erica Miller Slager?
0: Yep. Okay. We will uh, also link to that, of course, in the show notes. You can get it at BiggerPockets.com/show four fifty six biggerpockets.com slash show456. You can also, of course, go to there, everybody, and ask your questions. Uh, In the comment section of that page, you can uh, ask questions there. You can also, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can put comments below. Please do. And don't forget to like, like. if you're watching this on YouTube, like, you know, thumbs up or whatever so that uh, YouTube knows it's a good video and they show it to more people uh, with the message of portfolio building and the amazing power of real estate investing. So, Erica, thank you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you having me on.
2: Thank you for sharing your story. It was awesome. And also thank you for your service. I'm a huge fan of uh, hiring people in the military. By the way, Erica, have you heard of the SkillsBridge program before? I have, yeah. I-, I share that with everybody who's in the military. The military will basically pay you to learn an uh, industry outside of the military. So I have people that intern for me that are in the military through the Skills SkillsBridge program. Oh, so
1: awesome. If
2: you're looking to grow your business, Erica, that might be something you could consider when you're out. And I'm definitely doing the same if people are looking to learn real estate while they're still in the military uh, so thank you uh, all all of those that are in the military listening to this right now thank you for what you do and do not believe the lie that you can't get wealthy while you're in the re- military or while you're a first responder or while you're a teacher let real estate do all the heavy lifting just learn how real estate works and it can make you wealthy so thank you Erica this thank is you. David Green for Brandon the Louis L'Amour of real estate investing books <laughs> Turner <laughs> signing off you're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have
3: benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and BAM!